Well, take your Bibles tonight and turn to Philippians in chapter 3. We're going to get back into our series in the book of Philippians in chapter number 3. Our text is going to be verses 15 through the end of the, the chapter, but we're going to begin reading in verse number 7. So Philippians chapter number 3 and verse number 7. Our series uh, is entitled Countered by Joy, and uh, the trials and the sufferings of life can be countered by joy when you're centered in Christ, when you're focused on Christ, that's, that's what makes the difference. And, and truly, uh, Christ is the major focus in the book of Philippians. Well, Christ is the major focus in the, every book of the Bible. But certainly a case could be made that Christ is the central focus in the book of Philippians. So let's read a little bit about that now in Philippians chapter number 3 and verse number 7. He's, he's really looking back on his own personal life and how that at one time he... He thought that righteousness was to be achieved when truly righteousness can only be received. It's not what you can do. It's what God did to provide righteousness. And so Paul, uh, Paul was confused by that, about that as uh, many uh, as many are today, especially among the Jewish people, thinking they could try to keep the law and earn God's favor. And that was never God's intent, even in giving the law. The law was given that it might show us that we have need of Christ and, and lead us to Christ. And thank God uh, Paul came to understand that. So look what he said in verse number seven. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And here's, here's his focus in verse number 10. I want you to pay particular attention here that I may what? Know him. He had just said, I want to, that I might have the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And here he's saying, here's the focus of my life now because of salvation that I may know him. I guarantee you, Paul would have been saying amen to that song that we just heard as well, that Jesus is the sweetest name that I know. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. In other words, he's basically saying there, I'd love to live until the time when the Lord comes again and raptures us out of here. Not just to be out of here, but to be with him. That was his main focus. All right, now that brings us to verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that, by, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, he's saying, I've got a lot of room to grow here. Yeah, I heard somebody just say, say just here recently, the biggest room is the room for improvement. <laughs> and that's a room that all of us have is room for improvement. We're here tonight because we need to grow, Right. Room for improvement. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. 
but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press. The idea there is I strain, I reach forward, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, here is verse 15, our text. Let us therefore, and I'd say tonight, let us therefore, right? Let us, this is application for everybody. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. You say, I think I just got left out on that part about being perfect. Well, remember he just said, I'm not perfect. So what's he saying? We'll get to that in just a moment. Let us therefore, that be as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Be what minded? Well, the verses he just explained. Be thus minded and if any, I'm sorry, and if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall let that slip. No, it says God shall reveal, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them. The idea is scope them out. Look for them. Uh, mark them which walk so as you have us for an ensample. Find some people like this to follow. Find some individuals like this to emulate. To imitate, it, it literally is. When you see the word follow, it means this, imitate me. Imitate, follow this way. Okay, here's why. Verse 18. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And then he describes them in verse 19, whose end is destruction. So he begins with the, the end result of their life, what they're destined for, whose end is destruction. And then he explains how they operate in this day-to-day -day life. He says, whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame, who mind, look at this, who mind what? Earthly things, who mind whose focus, we might say, who mind earthly things. And here's why we ought to follow the example of Paul and others that are mature Christians rather than those. He says, for our conversation is in heaven, whence, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue. Notice this, he's able to do that. He's able to change our vile body, our, our body that, um, uh, that's deteriorating, this vile body, this low estate in which we live. He's able to do that. But also this, look at the last part of verse, verse number 21. He says, uh, he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. All things unto himself. In other words, he's saying this, he's firmly in control. 
firmly in control. So tonight in our series, Countered by Joy, here's the title of uh, sermon number 17 in the book of Philippians. Follow the example of mature Christians. Just want to be very simple here tonight and exhort everybody to do this very thing. Follow the example of mature Christians. Follow the example of mature Christians. Beware of Christianity that opposes the cross. Beware of Christianity that opposes, that doesn't even sound like it goes together, right? It doesn't. Beware of Christianity that opposes the cross. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. Let's consider this here together and trust uh, God to help us make application. Follow the example of mature Christians. <clears throat> Maybe you've tried to uh, follow someone while driving through a large city. You've been there and done that. And they said, well, hey, just, just follow me. Just follow me. Man, they're weaving in and out and you're having a hard time following them. And you get to a red light, you know, and they scoot on through and it was yellow and yours wasn't yellow anymore. <laughs> You're trying to follow, you know, you know what I'm talking about is you're trying to follow through a large city and you get on a interstate and man, they're changing lanes and you really have to, you know, work hard at it to stick, keep up with them. I had a pastor one time I was uh, preaching in, um, in Arizona and, and, uh, and he said, Hey, just, uh, just, I've got to run in here to this neighborhood. I'm going to pull back in there. No need for you to go all the way back in there. Just, just wait for me right here. He was driving a a, um, a Toyota, maybe Tacoma, something like that. And, and so I just, I just waited there. He went in and then I, I saw it was nighttime. So it was, you know, it was dark and such, but I saw this, I saw this, this Toyota truck come out. I didn't have the pastor's cell phone number or anything at that point. And I, <laughs> I started following this truck and I followed him for probably a good two, three miles. And then it dawned on me, that's not who I think it was. I was following the wrong person. I have no idea who I was following. So all I knew to do, I mean, I had no way to get in touch with this bastard. So I just went back to where he said, hey, wait for me right here. And he was there, fortunately, and said, hey, uh, where'd you go? <laughs> Long story. <laughs> I learned this. You better be careful who you're following because you may end up somewhere you never intended to be. Be careful who you're following. Mark Twain, Mark Twain often ha has some very unique ways of saying things. He said this, few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. <laughs> a little sarcasm in there, right? A uh, few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Well, you don't have to be annoyed by it if you'll follow it, right? For their own good, Paul wanted to annoy them with an ultimate good example. And he's exhorting them to follow this example. And because he knew that they had to be careful whom they were following. I, I wonder if everyone here is following the right example. I, I wonder if the, a text like this applies to everybody here. Well, certainly it does. It certainly does. But it'd be pretty naive of us to think that everybody here is following the right examples. I, 
I, I know that we all need help here, and that's what Paul is endeavoring to do, is to help them to follow the right examples. Listen, tonight, I believe this text is just as much needed tonight as it was back when Paul wrote it to the, to the believers there in Philippian, in Philippi, rather. I believe it's needed just as much tonight because you and I are prone to get off by following the wrong examples. And so thank God tonight for the examples of Mature believers. I, I believe that Southwest Baptist Church is, is where it is because God has matured some believers. Now, 10 in 10 Christians are somewhere in the process of their Christian maturity. 10 out of 10. So if you're saved tonight, then you're somewhere in the process of your spiritual growth. Every one of us are. None of us have arrived. It's not like we've reached this place where we don't need preaching anymore. We don't need Bible reading. Don't need to spend time in prayer. Don't need to be in church. No, every one of us need desperately to be around good godly examples. And so I want to thank God tonight for the mature Christians that comprise Southwest Baptist Church. It's a real blessing and we need more uh, that are that way. And so we want to be a part of that that uh, solution, part of that situation there. We certainly need more spiritually minded Christians in today's world. Wouldn't you agree with that? Some spiritually minded Christians. Did you notice in verse 15, 16, and 19 that the text references thus minded or minded? Did you see that? How many different times it said uh, this mind? Of course, we could go all the way back to chapter 2 where Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He talks about being like-minded. Haven't we noticed this in our study of Philippians that oftentimes he's saying, listen, you need to be of the same mind. In fact, by the way, he's not done yet. Chapter four, he's gonna say, I wanna exhort these two ladies that they be of the same mind, okay? So this mindedness, this, the focus of your mind, the way you look at life, the way you think, it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. And so Paul is saying, we need some spiritually minded individuals here. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said, to be spiritually minded simply means to look at earth from heaven's point of view. To look at earth, to look at what's going on from heaven's point of view. All of us are prone to look at earth, look at what's going on just from this point of view, aren't we? We're quite capable of doing that. And so Paul is... Uh, is exhorting the Philippians here and, and encouraging them to have this one goal, his one goal, as their one goal. You say, well, I, I mean, isn't it possible that every believer would have different goals? Um, I'd say tonight that in many ways we have too many goals. Yeah. I don't think it's wrong that we'd have certain goals. I, you know, I, I sat down at the end of the year looking ahead, still got some work even to do on a, what I refer to as a, a planner, you know, a personal planner for our family, a planner for uh, the ministry here, some goals, you know, some things. Just, just yesterday we did a walk around on a certain part of the property and thinking ahead about what we need to do, what we want to do. We got some goals, you know, for the property, goals financially, goals, you know, maybe you got marriage goals or parenting goals or academic goals, like you want to pass, stuff like that. Physical fitness goals. Some had some at the very beginning of the year, but now they're waiting until next year to start those. And, and so there's bucket lists and there's home goals and there's church goals, bus goals, class goals. I mean, we got all kinds of goals. Well, let me ask you this tonight. What should be your main goal? 
with all the goals that you have, and I don't think God's against all those goals, but you need to make sure that all of your goals are subject to what ought to be every believer's main primary goal. Well, what in the world would that be? To know the Lord Jesus Christ and to be like Him. That ought to be your main goal tonight, to know Him. I want to know Him. And the power of his resurrection to be like him, that ought to be our main goal. Paul, I believe he had goals. I, I think he wanted to get to as many cities as he wanted to. I mean, he wanted to go to Spain. He, he wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go all these places. But I'm telling you, at the end of the day, if he asked Paul, Paul, what's your main goal in life? He says, I want to know the Lord Jesus Christ even more. And I want to be like him as a result of that. Are you following me? And so he says, I want to know him. That, that tonight is the heart and soul of the Christian life. Knowing Jesus Christ, having a real relationship with him, that is the heart and soul of the Christian life. It's not necessarily Christian service. Christian service is a result of having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, a, it's not about, please listen to this here tonight. I think it will help all of us to be reminded of these things. It's not about uh, living up to a certain amount of rules. The Christian life is not about a list of rules. It's about a relationship that generates its own set of rules because you want to please him. You see, that's totally different. I'm telling you, uh, some have, uh, have abandoned the Christian service and, and, and standards as though legalistic standards. And when that's really not the problem, the problem is this is when a Christian tries to serve Christ without a relationship with Christ, or they try to keep standards without a relationship with Christ. That's the main problem. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Living by standards is not legalism. If you simply are choosing to use your liberty so as not to be a stumbling block. This is the one thing that affects everything. I'm telling you, your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is the one thing that's affecting everything. That's true of this preacher. That's true, that's true of every believer, regardless of your age and situation in life. It is your relationship with Christ that is affecting every single area of your life. I, I could not preach it too much. I'm not going to overdo it here. You say, I, I, haven't you already preached some of this? Yes. Doesn't it need to be emphasized again? Paul wasn't perfect. Paul had room to grow. He was trying to know Christ and here's how he was doing it. Forgetting the things that were behind. In other words, he's saying, listen, I've already been down that road that many of those, those uh, Judaizers, that's who he's warning them about in the first part of chapter number three. I've, I've already been down that road and I've already found it. It was a dead end street to say that I'm more spiritual because, uh, because I try to keep the law and the dietary laws and, and all those things, which by the way, that's not just a relic of the Christian past. There's still some today who think that they would be better Christians if they would be Jewish or act Jewish, even as Gentiles. Uh, God's not called us to be Jews. God's called us to be Christians, Christ-like. He's called Jews to be Christ-like. 
And so there were those that felt like they were the spiritual lead and saying, well, if you really want to be spiritual, here's what you got to do. In fact, some were saying even to be saved, here's what you got to do. But that's not at all what, what uh, the gospel is saying. And so Paul says, listen, I'm in, a, I'm in a relationship with Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ because he first sought me. It wasn't like I was seeking him. He was seeking me. And so now I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I'm not going to put any stock in those things. In fact, those things were taking me further away from Christ. But now that he has apprehended me, now I in turn want to apprehend him. He pursued me, so now I'm pursuing him. Do you get what he's saying there? I'm forgetting the things that are behind, reaching forward to those things which are before, reaching, straining, stretching, not slacking off. Hey, listen, tonight, I believe one of the problems that we face in the Christian life is that we can get way too complacent. We can get complacent. And, and it's a dangerous place for a Christian to be just to kind of being cruising or coasting. Just kind of putting it in neutral. Man, I've done this Christian thing a long time. Do you know everything there is to know about the Lord Jesus Christ? I trow not. To use a King James word, I think not. I don't think so. No, there's more, to you to, more for you to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't get bored with your Christianity. If you're bored with Christianity, it's your version of Christianity. Don't be bored. You can't be bored with Christ because he's matchless and infinite in, in every way. So uh, we just get, get to need, we need to get to pursue him once again. That'll liven your Christian life up again. Paul says, um, every believer ought to have this mindset. Every believer. Look at verse 15 again. Let's look at the text here. He, that's what he's been saying. Um, let us have this mindset. Okay, look at verse 15. Let, let us, therefore, do you see that he's including himself in that? Let us, first person plural, let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Let us, therefore, as many as be. Now, okay, hang on, wait, wait, don't, don't get tripped up right there because he's, he's not saying, you know, sinless perfection, but what he is saying is, Everybody that wants to be mature in Christ, this is the mind that they need to have. Those that want to be mature. The word uh, perfect just means developed, complete, and, and that's what mature means. It, it means that you've grown or that, that's your desire. Okay, here's, here's a, another passage that uses even the terminology, as many as. In Romans chapter 8, in verse number uh, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Do you remember that verse? As many as are led. So what does that mean? Well, doesn't that mean that God, those that are saved, every believer is led by the Spirit? Isn't that God's desire? Or, hang on, wait, just, just think about this here just a second and then we'll move on. Or is God saying, you know, I got a certain group of children that are led by the Spirit, but then I got a, a separate group of children that I never really intend to lead by the Spirit. That's not it. Every single believer is led by the Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that every single believer is yielded to the Spirit. That's what Paul was getting at. But every, every born again child of God has the Spirit of God living within them, and thus the Spirit of God is working in them to lead them in the right way of life. So Paul here says, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, in other words, this is God's will for every single believer to be mature as a believer. 
To whom here tonight does this not apply? Who here? Hello, is this, Jonathan, you got this on. Jude's out. You're, you're up there. This is on, right? You're seeing it's registering. Good. To whom here tonight does this not apply? Who here tonight does not need to be a mature Christian? Who, who doesn't need to be a mature Christian? Well, well, what about young Christians? They need to be mature. What about older Christians? They need to be mature Christians. What about preachers? They should be mature Christians. Right? I mean, it's really good if they are. It's really bad if they're not. What about church members? Should they be mature Christians? Should you be a mature Christian? I mean, I guess we can just kind of save some time right here if you'd conclude, yes, I need to be a mature Christian. Everybody agree with that? Yep. I need to be a mature Christian. How many of you are a mature Christian? I don't raise your hand. I'm not necessarily asking for that. How many of you want to be a mature Christian? I imagine every hand would go up and say, absolutely, I want to be a mature Christian. Well, how do I get there? You got to have this mind. Be thus minded. That's what I'm just reading the Bible right here. Look at it. Let's, let's get into this here. And let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Be what minded? You got to forget the things that are behind. Press forward to those things that are before. In other words, your goal, just like Paul's goal, if you want to be mature, you've got a desire to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's got to be the burning desire of your heart in life. Hey, listen, listen to what he's been doing here. He's been saying, listen, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he gave a few other examples, such as Timothy and Epaphroditus. Remember that in chapter number two and how that even Epaphroditus, he was so servant minded and, and such, a, such an unselfish form of Christianity. That's mature Christianity when you think about others, not yourself. Epaphroditus was even that way, even to the point of being sick. And Timothy was putting himself out to help them. And even Paul himself is an example that they should follow. And he's saying, listen, this, guy, this has got to be your mind as well. You should desire to be a mature Christian and be thus minded. And Paul says, and look at the latter part of verse number 15, if any be otherwise minded... God shall reveal this even unto you. You know what he's saying right there? If you're a believer and it's not your goal to know Jesus Christ and be mature as a Christian, hang on, let me, let me add one more thing to this, okay? Is everybody still following along or do I need to start over to catch somebody that fell behind, okay? All right, one more thing that really plays into this. It, we're coming up on it. It's all gonna work together. But one more thing that's playing into this is found actually back in verse number 10 that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his what? Sufferings. Turn back to chapter one and verse number 29 just real quick. Look at that one. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to, for, to believe on him, but also to what? Suffer for his sake. Suffer, suffer, suffer. Who wants to sign up now to be a mature Christian? But that's what it's going to take. Didn't Jesus suffer for us? He became obedient even the, the death, to the death of the cross. Humiliated even to the death of the cross. And, and, and in, a, in, a, in a very uh, difficult way gave his life for us. And hasn't Timothy suffered and Epaphroditus suffered and Paul suffered? In other words, he's saying, listen, if you really want to grow, you've got to stick with it. You've got to stick with it. I mean, listen. This, this sissified form of Christianity is not going to cut it. It didn't cut it back then. It's not going to cut it today. He's saying, listen, you got to stick with it and you got to be unified as a church and be thus minded. And if you're not, I'm guaranteeing you this, God will show you that. 
God's got ways of rebuking his children, doesn't he? And for your own good, he'll say, listen, you're not really trying to grow in Christ right here. You're, you're, not, you're not trying to mature in Christ. And, and maybe God will use a song. God will use a trial. God will use some difficulty in your life to get your attention. Why? Because he wants you. He wants me. He wants all of us to be thus minded and he'll work to get your attention if you're not. I want to thank God tonight that God is that gracious and that God is that tenacious in our lives, that he doesn't give up on us and he doesn't let us just kind of put it in a neutral cruise because, listen, he knows that your heart is never really in neutral. You're either actively serving God or you're actively serving yourself. There's no little neutral ground here. There's no little place where you can just kind of have your comfortable form of Christianity if you're going to live the type of Christianity that God really wants you to live. Now, if you want a cultural form of Christianity, just hang on, verse 19 is coming. Well, that went over <laughs> splendidly. All right, let's keep moving here. Are we doing okay? Is this making sense to you? I just, I, I hadn't really studied these verses in, in depth like, like I had tried to the last week or so and, and trying to get at this. Look at verse number 16, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Nevertheless, nevertheless, he says, listen, even if, even if your mind's not made up about this, it doesn't change the fact that it's so. Even if you don't agree with this, Paul says, even if you don't agree with this, it's not going to change the fact that it's that way. And we're into we've already attained. Listen, we've already established this. We, we've already received this. In other words, he's saying this. Listen, listen. He's saying this. We don't need any new revelation on this. We've already received this. We've already attained this. We've already got this understanding as to how the Christian life works. So here's what we need to do. Mind the same rule and mind the same thing. Hang on, I don't know if I read that exactly right. Look at verse 16 again. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. In other words, he's not talking about a list of rules. He's saying this. The same rule, same thing is this. You grow in Christ by developing a relationship with him even through the hard times. And make it your goal to keep growing. Let's mind the same thing. Let's be on the same page. My soul, wouldn't that be wonderful for Southwest Baptist Church that we would just all be on the same page about this? Amen. That we would have a church full. And I, I want to thank God and I don't want to give him all the glory for it because if there's any Christian maturity in here, it's because he did it. Amen. He did it. If we have a mature Christian youth group tonight, it's because he, he's at work in you. It's not you. If we have mature young adults here tonight or mature uh, Christian couples here tonight or aged Christian couples here tonight that are mature and aged senior adults here tonight that are real people, mature people that are honoring God is because he ultimately started it and he ultimately did it, but you have a part in it. Wouldn't it be wonderful though if we all just made up our mind, I want to be a mature Christian. I want to be a mature Christian. I wonder if that would help things in the family. Mature husband, mature wife, mature father, mature dad, mature mother, mature children. I wonder if that's lacking today. I wonder if that might help things in college. <laughs> to have maturity in Bible college. I mean, there's a lot of Bible college students here. I wonder if that would help a Bible college have mature Christians in it. I wonder if there's some immature Christians in Bible college. 
Uh, are there some? Yes. Do we want to point any out right now? This would be a great time for an illustrated message. No. <laughs> Mark them. <laughs> Scope them out. <laughs> do we have mature people working in Sunday school? Do we have mature people working in the nursery? Wouldn't that help? Do we have mature people singing in the choir? That helps a lot. Do we have mature people working a bus route? Do we have mature people just coming to church, sitting in the pew? Do we have mature people out in the foyer? Do we have mature people walking out to the car? Do we have mature people that go and eat at a restaurant and talk about the message rather than talk about the preacher and how lousy he was? Or do we have immature people? Let us be thus minded. I mean, let's mind the same rule. It's not like there's one rule for you and another rule for you. It's not like there's one standard for you and another standard for you. It's like, you know, you live up to your standard. I live up to my standard. Okay, hang on, wait a minute. Let's just make this real easy. We all have the same standard. You say, no, we don't have all the same standard. I mean, you know, some go to Heartland, some don't. No, listen, that's not the standard. Here's the standard. Jesus Christ. There's a standard for all of us. We've got the same standard, beloved. We've got the same exact standard. It's not like one church has one standard and another church has another standard. No, listen, if we're thinking right about this, if we're thus minded, then actually every church has exactly the same standard and it's the one who started that church, the head of that church, the one who paid for that church with his own blood. Listen, he is our standard. Every one of us are supposed to be Christ-like from the oldest to the youngest among us. One standard, one rule, every one of us, same thing. Man, that just put us all suddenly on the same page. Maybe we can look at one another differently and not think, well, you're from here and I'm from there. Or you do this and I do that. Or, no, how about we just say, you know, I'm in Christ, you're in Christ, let's grow. Amen. Wow. Man, that would in a hurry unify a church, even one that had good unity. It'll bring us closer. Because then I'm not trying to be more spiritual than you. It's just that we're trying to help one another be Christ-like. Brethren, verse 17, be followers together of me and mark them, scope them out, look around tonight. Mark them. You've got some as you have us for an example, he says. I want to I look around here tonight and maybe there's some young couples that need some examples of what a godly married couple ought to be. Hey, look around. There's some good ones right here tonight. Am I right about that? Uh, some young men, young men, young ladies. You look around here. There's some godly men, godly ladies. Those of you that are in your middle age, there's some older people here that are godly, older people. Mature in both ways. Scope them out. You say, I ain't got nobody. You ain't looking for nobody. That's really your problem because if you're looking for somebody to follow as an example, which by the way, you need it, don't think, no, I can do it on my own. God, don't ha God doesn't have lone Christians. Amen. He doesn't. He put us in a church family. Amen. He doesn't expect you to make it on your own. He's given you other people around you. But if you say, no, there's nobody, there's nobody I can follow. You're either saying that because you think you're above everybody. Or you're saying that, well, it was you because you're trying to blame everybody else for your lack of spirituality. And neither one will fly with God. But if you want to be, I believe this based on the text tonight, if you want to be Christ-like, you want to be a mature Christian, then God has gifted this church with other mature Christians. 
It may be your Sunday school teacher. It may be a godly Sunday school member. It may be somebody that sits in the pew with you. I'm just saying to you tonight, if you want to grow, God's already given you somebody right here that you can watch and follow. And I see a lot of you doing that. I see younger people associating with older people, and that is a healthy church. It needs to be that way. It needs to be that way. It doesn't just need to be one age group. It doesn't all need to be young. I think, hey, listen, I think a lot of churches are in trouble because one of two things, either they're all young or they're all old. If they're all young, they ran all the old people off with their music and whatever else. If they're all old, then the young people thought, man, this place is dead. And they found someplace else that's lively. Well, here's what we ought to find, a place that is Christ-like. Where young and old alike can rub shoulders with one another and learn about life. There's so many wonderful things just practically that you're going to learn from being around one another. Mark them, point them out. And here's why Paul says, let's, let's look at verse number, verse number 18. For many walk, he says. Now, when he says walk, he's talking about their practical life. He's talking about the way that they live. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Now, it may be their doctrine that's off. No doubt it is. I mean, we could see that. But right here, he's talking about how they live. Many walk of whom I've told you often. A constant threat merits constant warning. I've warned you. I've warned you and I've warned you and I've warned you. I want to thank God tonight for preachers that have warned us because we're, our, our Christianity, our, our life with Jesus Christ, not our salvation is ever in jeopardy. That's never the case because we're eternally saved. But your walk with God is constantly in jeopardy. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. Paul says, I've warned you often. Many walk, he says, I've warned you often, told you often, and now tell you even, look at the heart of the man of God here tonight. The, the, I've told you this, even weeping. It broke his heart. It broke his heart that there was those that are described here. There's, there's question about, okay, who's he talking about? Well, I mean, Paul doesn't specifically identify exactly who he's talking about there. Is it the Judaizers from the first part of chapter three or is it some renegade group that is libertine and just saying, forget all the laws, just live any way you want to. Both are detrimental to a Christian's life, but Paul doesn't specify, is it to unbelievers? Well, in chapter one, he's already dealt with those that are on the outside and how that uh, your faith is an evident token of their perdition. And he would weep over those that are lost, but it may be, it may be this, this is totally speculation, but it may be this, the fact that he's weeping would indicate that at one time, many of them or all of them identified with the church that was in Philippi, and now they're no longer there. Now the next part says whose end is destruction. So Paul is saying, evidently they're not saved because their end is destruction. Everybody following this? Their end is destruction. Just like what John said, they were among us, but they weren't really with us and they left us. It could be that way. If, hang on, wait a minute. If they were still in the church, I think Paul would have cleared off the spot and spoke directly to them. Or he would have told the church what to do about him in the form of church discipline. But evidently they're no longer there and thus he's weeping over them because they are lost. I, I don't know. 
I don't mind to tell you, I don't know for sure exactly who it is. And in fact, even if he did identify who they were, they're not here now. Well, that was deep, wasn't it? Because they long ago passed away. But since God has preserved this for us tonight, there must be those that we need to watch out for that could have an ill effect on your Christian life. And I think that's why God preserved not their names, but their identity in the sense of how they're characterized. Look what he says here in verse number 19, whose end is destruction. We've already talked about that. Whose God is their belly and their, and their glory is their shame. I mean, there's even question about what that means. Whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame. What is that talking about? God is their belly, glory is their shame. Some say, well, if that's the Judaizers, their God is their belly. It's telling them what to eat and what not to eat, the dietary laws. Or if it's those that are just living in self-indulgence, their God is their belly. In other words, he's saying this, they've got an appetite for the things of the flesh. Could very well be either way. Whose glory is their shame? Glory is their shame. If it is, I'm just, I'm just tossing out both possibilities and you can figure it out on your own. He said, Pastor, I thought you were supposed to tell us everything. I tried. <laughs> Study and come to a firm conclusion, but he's... He's not just totally specific there, but he does say this, their glory is their shame. If it's the Judaizers, their glory, their keeping of the law is actually to their shame. Or on the other hand, if it's the licentious people that are living in self-indulgence and they glory in it and they glamorize their immorality, then actually what they glory in is actually their shame. It really does apply to both. It really does. Glories are shame, but I tell you what really helps the most is the very last phrase, who mind earthly things. You know who will get your Christian life off track is somebody that's just living for right here and right now. Who mind earthly things. Why, why is that a problem? Well, look at verse number 20 and 21, and we're liable to come back to this in another preaching time because I want to spend a little bit of time on application right here. He says this, for our conversation, our, literally our citizenship is in heaven. Remember, remember, this is the noun form, but back in chapter one, verse number 27, he says, let our, con let, let our conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. The terminology he's using there, they would have been very familiar with because it's words like commonwealth or citizenship or, or how about this? Our homeland. I like that. Our homeland is heaven. Amen. Now, as, a, as Philippi was a colony of Rome, they, they had ties to Rome, but they were living in Philippi. And that's what he's saying to these Philippians who would have understood that terminology. I know that as a citizen of Rome, that you are a little outpost of Rome. And you live in Philippi as though you were living in Rome. But I want to remind you of your dual citizenship here tonight. Not only are you a citizen of Rome, but even more importantly, as a believer, you are a citizen of heaven. And this church, okay, now I'm not in Philippi, I'm at Southwest Baptist Church, 54th and Blackwater. This assembly is a colony. This assembly is a little outpost of heaven. In other words, we are citizens of heaven and thus we ought to live on earth like we were living in heaven. Well, that ought to affect the way that we treat one another. 
He says our citizenship is in heaven from which we look for our Savior. They say that the word Savior there was even used of Caesar and how that it was quite a, uh, quite a privilege when the Roman emperor showed up. But Paul said this, hey, listen, forget Caesar. We're looking for Jesus. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body and that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. In other words, listen, he humbled himself and became a servant unto death, but now he is glorified. If you are willing to identify with him, even to the point of suffering, then he'll change even your vile body to be like unto his glorious body. Just like he went through suffering, we'll go through suffering. Just like he was brought to glory, he'll bring us to glory. That's reason to keep going. According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Right there he's saying, listen, not only is he able to do that in changing your body, but also this, those that are currently persecuting you and making it difficult on you right now, including the Roman emperor himself, he will bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus is firmly in control. That's what he's saying. So what we ought to do is set our sights, set our eyes, keep our eyes on mature believers. Here's why. Because they're keeping their eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on mature believers because they are keeping their eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Get your eyes off of others who do not have their focus on the Lord Jesus Christ because their eyes are on this earthly plane and their behavior is acting like it. Paul is saying, listen, you are a citizen of heaven. Don't act like this world is your permanent home. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Hey, listen, I'm telling you what Paul is saying is exactly that. He's saying, listen, why are you living for things here on this earth? It's only temporary. And thus he's saying to them, listen, to be mature, you've got to have a mature outlook and an immature outlook is right here. Living for things right now. If you live for things right now in this world, you'll mature in the wrong way. But if you'll say, my focus is the Lord Jesus Christ, then you grow spiritually. So I thought about this, um, I think, very important message for us. I thought about families and get pulled in a lot of directions. Because as a young family, you can look around and you can see other, other young families that are going to churches. That Paul said, I think I even skipped the verse, I didn't mean to. But it said they're enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, they're opposed to the cross. Why? What's he, what's he talking about? The whole context of it, that's what we try to deal with, is that really they're opposed to suffering because they're all about their present pleasures in this life. All right, now, everybody understand that? Your young family, you get around other trendy young families, and you're, you're liable to find a, another family going to a different church that's got a lot easier version of Christianity. A lot easier. What do you mean by that? They only go to church on Sunday mornings. They used to go on Sunday night, but that got to be way too much. So now, 
We need family time, which actually means screen time. Because while they're having family time, everybody's on their screen or watching the screen. Camouflage as, camu as family time, a.k.a. also known as I'm too lazy to get another sermon together for this week. It's just easier to preach one time rather than two times, yay, three. And Wednesday nights, we're not going to have real preaching. We're just going to kind of have a little bit of a share moment. Just a little teaching. And I'm going to take it a lot easier because, man, I'll tell you what, it'll wear you slick out getting three messages together. And it's really too much to expect of families to come out on a Sunday night when it's cold, come out on a Wednesday night after they've worked a hard day. It'd just be easier if everybody just kind of had a little family, little care groups they go to and have snacks. We got snacks in the nursery. I'm not against snacks. I like snacks. But I'm afraid that there are Nursery version Christianities all over the United States of America at a time when our country is in dire need of some mature Christians that, that will, will tough it out, that will stand even when they're opposed. And yet they're getting milk toast. Watered down version of Christianity that's under the name of being easier to understand because even that King James Bible is hard to understand. There's enough in it that I understand that I'm not doing right now, that I don't need anything easier to help me understand it. I just need the Holy Spirit of God to help me be obedient to the Lord God Almighty. And dumbing down music to make it kind of more palatable to the world. And we don't need the songs about the blood. Mercy sakes alive, we ever need the songs about the blood because it's the blood that saved us and gave us the hope. And, and so we don't need to get rid of the songs that have the blood in it. Or we don't need to get rid of all these hymns because mercy. I mean, did you, did you even understand what all we sang tonight? Actually, if you paid attention, you probably did. But, but we don't need songs that just have about seven words repeated 11 times, seven elevens, as somebody has said, and just kind of make it easier. In fact, I think everybody will like this a whole lot more because it's a lot more like what they have out there in the world. So what's your goal? Amen. What's your goal? What's the, what's the ultimate goal? Is it, be, is it to be world-like or Christ-like? What do you want? It all comes back to what our ultimate goal is. If you want to be like Christ, then that's probably going to cost you something. No, let me rephrase that. If you want to be like Christ, that's going to cost you something. And beware of a version of Christianity that is ultimately against the cross or against suffering, against hard times. I'm not saying we're going out picking a fight with everybody and wanting to suffer. Please bring it on. That's not ought to be our mentality. Our mentality ought to be this. I want to be like Christ. And if it being like Christ puts you as a, as a school teacher in the classroom and, and you're expected to compromise that you stand boldly and say, no, I can't stand anywhere else. This is the only place I can stand. And you may suffer for that, but I'm telling you, Christ knows and you'll grow through that. And you say, my family is going to stay in this church because not just because it's where I've grown up all my life, but it's because there's an endeavor to try to preach the word of God and an endeavor to try to honor God and try to, to have standards in our life that reflect his holiness in our life. Not that we're better than anybody, anybody at all, because we're just sinners saved by the grace of God. And we have one standard and that is Jesus Christ. And we're just trying to endeavor to apply that to our daily Christian life in our forms of entertainment, in our forms of dress, and in our forms of music, and in our forms of interaction with one another as a family. We're just trying to be like the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. And listen, friend, if that's your goal, then God will honor that. And he'll help you with that. But if you say, you know, I just want something a little bit easier. 
you cut off your own growth. Because many mind earthly things. And it'd be real easy for you even just to stay in this church and yet be so materialistic that you're not really serving Christ. Because you can get all wrapped up in earthly things. Pursuing after all the worldly goods. Pursuing after all the worldly activities. And I'm not, I know God's not against us having things and I don't think He's against us even being involved in activities. Unless it keeps us from serving Him, then our focus is off and our goal has been disoriented. And we're not minded of things. And if God, if, if it be otherwise minded, God will reveal even that unto you. So it may be tonight that God is revealing something to you. That you're not maturing in your Christian life because you've become very, very worldly minded. If that's you tonight, then you repent of that and say, God, thank you for revealing even that unto me. And help me to get my focus back where it ought to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand together here tonight? I appreciate your kind attention and the way you endeavored to pay attention and to, to try to glean what, what Paul was saying to those believers then and what God is saying to us as believers here today. And again, I thank God for the mature Christians that are here. And if you're a mature Christian, um, maybe you're an older couple, you might say, well, I think my time of being an influence is past. Don't get that mentality. You're needed right here in this church desperately needed and don't get consumed with your own things serve others serve the Lord by serving others and let others follow you and encourage them to do so but tonight I want to encourage everybody here to be very very careful regarding who you're following who your friends are because you are either like your friends or you soon shall be like them and so, Father, tonight, I thank you for allowing us to have this time to try to explain, expose what you've said, and then endeavor to apply it. God, we're living in a world that is antagonistic towards you or indifferent. But you've called on us to live a different type of life because of what Christ did to save us. And I pray that you'd help us to be a mature, godly Christian family here tonight, a church family that endeavors to honor you. And so bless this invitation now, help us to respond to you and what you've revealed unto us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Page 272, only trust him. If God has spoke to your heart, join these that have come here tonight. Let's just spend some time before the Lord as Belarion leads us on this first verse.